What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The opinions expressed on this webmasterradio.fm program are those of the host, guests, and callers. And do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of webmasterradio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of webmasterradio.fm is prohibited. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly. Happy Groundhog Day and... Thank you, Putsatani Phil, for your annual service to this great nation. Um, we have a, a good show for you today. Um, interestingly, our last show was devoted to the Amazon tax, and, and who knew um, what a day that would be? Um, after we hung up um, from our show, um, Matt Schaefer got some very good news. The um, court in Colorado granted his injunction, um, blocking the implementation of the Big Brother type Amazon law in Colorado, and also afterwards I found out that I had received a notice from the California um, Tax Board uh, asking me to uh, delineate my online purchases. So uh, there actually is some enforcement in that area. Do you, um, even though uh, we, as a consumer, you may purchase online and think um, from out of state and think you're never going to have to say anything about it, there actually is occasional. Um, record-keeping requests um, made by the state in California and some other states as well. So without further ado, we're going to welcome back Matt to talk about his victory and what that means for both the Big Brother laws and uh, the other Amazon laws. Matt, are you on the line? I am. Good morning, Bennett. How are you? Thank you, and congratulations. Thanks very much. Obviously, we're very, very happy with the outcome. Um, as you mentioned, this was a... Uh, court awarding a preliminary injunction to the Direct Marketing Association, our client, uh, in our lawsuit against the new Colorado um, Big Brother or Notice and Reporting Law there that required uh, out-of-state retailers that don't collect Colorado sales tax to comply with um, what we argued to the court were a set of onerous and discriminatory obligations, and the court agreed with us, um, at least preliminarily, finding there was a likelihood that we would succeed in proving that the law was unconstitutional um, on a couple of different grounds under the Commerce Clause and that there would be irreparable harm to out-of-state retailers. And uh, so enjoined that law um, while the litigation continues. And what happens next? Is, does the state 
there's no appellate right to the preliminary injunction, right? The, the case just proceeds, and the, the, case, the state can't enforce the law until there's another ruling. Is that well, correct? it'll depend on their, their – their, uh, there's an exception to the ordinary rule that there's no right of appeal in the middle of a case to the higher court. Um, this would be the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals in this case. There's an exception to that rule for, in, for injunctions. So the state will have the option, if it chooses, to take in what's called an interlocutory appeal, a, a, an appeal of a non-final order to the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals if it wants to. Um, the state has until, I think, February 25th to make that decision, and there's been no indication one way or the other yet about what the state's thinking in that regard. If they don't take an appeal, then the case proceeds uh, from here uh, there are a number of other claims in the case besides our Commerce Clause claims. Uh, from our point of view, this law uh, was a real mistake in terms of public policy. It violates the Commerce Clause, but also several other provisions of the United States Constitution. And what would happen next if the case continues is we'd be um, litigating those additional claims, which include violations of the right of privacy and the First Amendment, among other things. Now, it, it seemed at one point you might never get to this um, this day because I, I had read earlier that the with the election results coming in and the assembly coming back in Denver being slightly more Republican, that the state might actually re repeal the law before the, the court got a chance to rule on it. it, it where does it stand in terms of um, the, on the legislative front with this law? There has been it was it was enacted originally in 2010 by very narrow majorities, and there were um, members of the Republican Party in Colorado that were very unhappy about it and were pledging to try to undo the law. Even last legislative session, there was discussion of it. Um, the uh, ruling of the court has sort of reinvigorated those efforts. There's there are. There's at least one bill, I think there may be two bills, in fact, in the legislature now to repeal um, HB 101193, which is this new law. And the prospects of that are uncertain. Um, the uh, control of one of two houses of the General Assembly uh, changed hands in the last election. Uh, so there's a split now in the Colorado legislature. Uh, and then we have a governor whose position on this uh, law is also somewhat uncertain. So there is a, an effort to repeal ongoing, um, strong advocates in favor of it, and then you know, some on the other side who essentially view um, the order of the court, um, finding that this law is likely unconstitutional to be just uh, you know, one step in a long process. So we'll see. Uh, there is an active effort. Now, what has been the State Attorney General's response to the decision and as well as to the repeal efforts? Well, there's been no other than the um, Department of Revenue, which, of course, is charged with enforcing these notice and reporting requirements, has put on their website a notice to Internet sellers and out-of-state retailers who sell by other remote means like catalog or, or, or phone. Uh, they, there's no longer a requirement to comply with these notice and reporting requirements. So those are suspended. Um, so any, anybody listening who's involved with a, with an, a seller, uh, a remote seller who has customers in Colorado and um, 
might otherwise and sells at retail and might otherwise be required to be doing these things or not. It's been suspended. The AG um, has not taken a position one way or another, as far as I know, with regard to um, where they'll go with the case from here. Um, and the public statement from the DOR was simply that the uh, the law is suspended first pursuant to the court's uh, order. Now, what do you think? What were the factors for the court in deciding that the, the in deciding that the statute that you most likely would prevail on the statute in finding that it's unconstitutional, as yes. well as violating uses of privacy? Well, we did only make a motion on the Commerce Clause, so the privacy issues are still out there. But here's here's how it came down, and it's a it's it's really something of a um, of a landmark decision in some ways, and it doesn't a, a very excellent job of delineating the court's reasoning, and it's a very sound opinion, one that I, uh, I'm optimistic would withstand an appeal if that's what the Attorney General thinks about doing. Um, to get a preliminary injunction, you have to show that you have a likelihood of success on the merits, that there'll be irreparable harm to the plaintiffs if the law is not enjoined, uh, that the balance of harms favors the plaintiffs, and that, there's, uh, that it's not against the public interest to enjoin the enforcement of this law. The court found that we had proved all four of those things, which was necessary for the injunction to issue. Um, a couple of, of uh, important elements on the first two prongs of the test. So with regard to the, to the merits of the case on the Commerce Clause, court found we, we had made arguments under two uh, different doctrines under the Commerce Clause. One, that the law was discriminatory against out-of-state retailers. And, and then, I mean, if I interrupt you there, when you say it was discriminatory against out-of-state retailers, it, that was because it imposed a burden um, on out-of-state retailers that in-state retailers didn't have, and that out-of-state retailers were required to, um, in essence, 1099 their customers and tell them everything they purchased, whereas in-state retailers were not. That that that's, more or less the rub of it? That's exactly right. Um, that is, in fact, for purposes of the Commerce Clause, that defines discrimination, burdens that are placed on out-of-state companies that are not also borne by in-state companies. Um, the other aspect of the Commerce Clause uh, that we asserted applied here was the notion that it unduly burdened interstate commerce, separate and apart from whether or not it was discriminatory. And the Court agreed with us on that prong as well, uh, that we would be likely to prove that. And the important thing on that count is that there's a landmark decision from 1992 called Quill Corp versus North Dakota that applies um, in the sales and use tax collection context. This law is not a tax law, this Colorado law, but it is a law that imposes burdens that are related uh, to sales and use tax collection. And the court agreed with us that the same principles that dictated the outcome in Quill um, demonstrated that we would be likely to prove that um, out-of-state sellers who have no physical presence in Colorado um, are unduly burdened by these notice and reporting requirements. So. Two separate grounds under the Commerce Clause for the Court's opinion. At, um, at AFCON this summer in Denver, there was a panel where they actually had some of the sponsors of the legislation. And it, it really seemed that they didn't fully grasp Quill. That the Quill is um, often referred to as a nexus test, but it actually is an oversimplification. There are, there are two aspects of the Quill test. Um, basically, it's combining... Um, it's combining both a due process element as well as a commerce clause element. And so the, the nexus is just kind of a, a very simple, um, bright line rule to kind of combine the two. 
Whereas, you know, the question is, first of all, is it violating due process? Is it fair to bring someone into this um, to require them to come to and pay taxes to Colorado um, and to you know com- comply with their laws if they're out of state? And then there's the, the commerce issue. You know, is it reasonable and is it burdening interstate commerce um, to do so? And it, it didn't seem that the, the state um, – they really just thought it as a nexus issue. As long as you had nexus, it didn't matter, which was really more of the due, due process part. It didn't really matter what the burden on interstate commerce was. And I think um, that's kind of that's part of the problem of oversimplifying Quill, is that people forget that there are two elements to it. It really isn't just a nexus test. It, there are, it, Quill does have both a due process and a commerce clause uh, component. We argue the commerce clause component here on the theory that notion under the Commerce Clause, well, or that laws that um, impact sort of structural economic concerns for, an in, for a national economy um, can run afoul of the Commerce Clause, which, which gives Congress the right to legislate and regulate the national economy. And we argued strongly that there were very similar burdens, very similar uh, kinds of impositions on um, interstate commerce under this law. Um, that the, as the court condemned in Quill. Um, and Judge Blackburn in the District of Colorado uh, agreed that we were likely to, to make that case. Uh, All right. Well, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll have Matt Schaefer uh, to talk further about the case in um, Colorado. And um, back to you, Brasco. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. It's time again to make your plans to be at SES New York 2011. SES New York 2011 makes its way to the New York Hilton March 21st to the 25th. SES New York 2011 will feature over 70 sessions, over 100 exhibitors, and networking opportunities with thousands of marketing and search engine optimization professionals. SES New York 2011 will start with a high-profile opening keynote from Yahoo's principal research scientist, Duncan Watts. Thursday, March 25th is the Online Marketing Summit's All Things Digital Best Practice Day, which features a full day of premium breakout sessions. Don't delay. Come to SES New York 2011, March 21st to the 25th, inside the New York Hilton. Register right now at searchenginestrategies.com and get 20% off your registration when you use promo code WMR20. Register right now at searchenginestrategies.com and use promo code WMR20. The WordPress Community Podcast. Now, Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific. Or on demand anytime inside the Internet Marketing Channel, only on webmasterradio.fm. 
The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And this is Bennett Kelly, and we are, we're back with Matt Schaefer, who um, the very day he appeared last week on our show, he ended up getting a very positive result from the court in Colorado, which enjoined enforcement of Colorado's Big Brother Law. And I got to tell you, Matt, you know, one, I'm assuming that you're going to want to be on our show for any time you have a big motion present. But um, I got to thank you, you know, obviously having the opportunity to talk about subjects such as North Dakota, Quill, um, it, it's just a ratings bonanza. Um, this is, this is too, too sexy for radio. But um, what is your thought in terms of what the broader implications of this decision will be in terms of Oklahoma and maybe um, you know, there's a greater debate over the Amazon tax law? Yeah, I think there are two primary ramifications uh, that, that we might see from this. Um, the first is the kind of thing that you mentioned with regard to other states that are looking at enacting um, nexus expanding kinds of legislation uh, or uh, laws that will otherwise uh, impose burdens on uh, retailers doing business in interstate commerce. Um, I think this will dissuade, um, in all likelihood, parallel laws. I mean, we'll see. Legislatures are not necessarily uh, always um, closely following what happens in uh, other states or in, uh, you know, in, in the federal laws enacted in other states. But there were a number of, of uh, states watching this case, I think, and, and um, state tax organizations watching it. And this will probably put the brakes on some of the impetus to to copy the Colorado model. Um, the Colorado model is quite a bit different from laws like um, the New York affiliate uh, nexus laws we were talking about last week. Um, now, there are bills in uh, a handful of legislatures um, that copy the Oklahoma statute, which is the Oklahoma law has just one of the three components of the Colorado law. It has the transactional component which is a requirement that retailers inform their customers on every transaction that they have an obligation, that is, the customer has an obligation to pay use tax, along with some other information. Um, importantly, Judge Blackburn in the District of Colorado found that that aspect of the Colorado law was on, is likely to be found unconstitutional. So it certainly does call into question Oklahoma-style legislation as well, and there have been bills introduced in a handful of states. Um, South Dakota, I believe, introduced a bill the very day that Judge Blackburn's ruling came down. Um, so we'll see what happens. But I, I think it will have a deterrent effect on that, but we'll find out. Um, the other major, I think, ramifications of this case is the, is the extent to which it reinvigorated the Quill decision that we were just talking about. And it's important in that states have been trying to narrow the the impact of that decision for a number of years, and uh, here uh, the court applied it outside of its um, most strictly um, defined context, which is sales and use tax collection. Here the court applied it with regard to notice and reporting obligations. Now, the, the big difference between Oklahoma and Colorado um, and I, I'll refrain from making a Oklahoma joke, but the big difference in the legislation was that um, Oklahoma actually had a threshold. That you, it really only applied to retailers selling above a certain level. Isn't that really 
didn't that make it somewhat more palatable? Well, the Oklahoma law um, is, as long as I'm not talking across purposes, what the Oklahoma law does is it just picks the one, the least, arguably the least intrusive uh, of privacy, the least um, onerous of the obligations, and limits itself to that. Now, Oklahoma has no, at the moment, has no enforcement provisions for their transactional notice requirements. So. Um, it certainly makes it harder for them to compel out-of-state retailers to do anything. But the, the I think the phrase there is "all hat no cattle." <laughs> <laughs> that and others would work, but uh, certainly that law is vulnerable to challenge now. If um, the Oklahoma legislature decides to follow up and give the uh, Department of Taxation there some and uh, the, uh, the uh, commission there uh, some enforcement authority. Uh, Oklahoma, interestingly, is within the same federal circuit that Colorado is, um, within the same um, circuit court of appeals, and so much of the controlling authority that influenced the decision reached by Judge Blackburn would apply to an Oklahoma judge um, making a same kind of call. So next for you, next for you on this case is, um, are you starting discovery, or have you already started doing that already? Yeah, the uh, the parties we so um, we had agreed to a process to get this preliminary injunction uh, motion in front of the court, uh, and that had been the focus of the first several months of this case. So, um, next in line uh, in terms of process is a status conference with uh, the federal magistrate there, who will uh, I'm sure uh, look for the parties to explain to him their points of view about where this case goes. Certainly, there are. Um, you know, a number of other claims left in the case. There is a pending motion uh, to try and define the scope of the case, um, a motion to dismiss filed by the state that we've opposed uh, that needs to be resolved. And uh, then we'll find out what, uh, you know, uh, what the parties and what the court thinks should happen next. But there's, there are a number of months uh, left of proceedings uh, to resolve this matter finally in all likelihood. And then it seems fairly likely that the case will go to the Tenth Circuit of Court of Appeals um, once final ruling uh, enters, if not sooner, on an interlocutory appeal. Well, that seems the challenge for you now as a lawyer is obviously to um, preserve your client's interest while still making sure that your status conferences and um, discovery obligations occur um, during ski season. <laughs> <laughs> That, yes, if we can accelerate the process and make sure. I, I don't know. I think I think this big snowstorm that I'm sitting through right now uh, it missed Colorado, um, but uh, uh, absolutely. Of course, Colorado is beautiful at all all times of the year. But uh, point taken. Now, um, it's, it's funny you mentioned the snowstorm. I mean, you're in Maine, and one of the questions on the chat board actually um, was about. And is there anything similar for the uh, to an Amazon type um, tax in Canada? And um, I, obviously, I know you we, we, we're trained in American law, not um, Canadian law. But you know, given that you're um, Canada adjacent, where you are, uh, is this, are you familiar with anything in Canada on this topic? I have not heard that. No. Um, every now and then, I have a glancing intersection with uh, Canadian law, but I don't know of any similar requirement there. Um, you know, at Brandon Isaacson, we're uh, we feel we are well versed in um, all sorts of tax laws, but I think uh, you know um, Canada um, a little bit outside our jurisdiction. 
No, it's, it's funny, funny you mentioned that. You, so is that why the DMA came to you guys? Because you guys have a reputation in tax law, or was it constitutional law? Like that brought uh, it's a combination. Um, it's a combination. We have uh, we've actually been um, George Isaacson, my co-counsel on this case in Colorado. George has been um, the tax counsel to the Direct Marketing Association for uh, more than two decades, and uh, George and others in our firm uh, submitted an amicus brief in the Quill case on behalf of the DMA, um, and so we have a long a long history both uh, with tax law, state tax law, and the um, constitutional aspects of it, um, as well as other um, constitutional issues that we've handled over the years. So what's your, your next big case after this? Well, we'll have to see what develops. As you we talked last week, there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, activity in state legislatures right now in the um, area of um, taxation of interstate commerce, um, of Internet businesses and remote sellers. Uh, yeah, let me and- let me ask you about that because one thing we didn't get to talk about much last week was there was a, a study done by the um, by BNA Tax Blog, um, which I'm sure all the readers read, um, all the listeners read. Um, and um, but they actually did a, a survey of state tax commissioners, and I believe somewhere in the magnitude of 13 or 17 of them actually believe that they have the authority to impose an Amazon-style tax um, without legislation, that just by merely interpreting ex- existing law or, you know, as North Carolina has tried to do, reinterpreting um, existing law um, could somehow give them the ability to try to claim um, collection duties, impose collection duties on Amazon and other retailers. And have, have you seen anything about that? And uh, has that come up at all in your practice? I haven't encountered it yet. I understand the theory, and at the risk of uh, you know making this even more tax wonky than it already is, it, it would be a it would be a an interpretation of that would be the state's interpretation of what Quill permits in terms of state power to impose tax on um, out of state businesses. And I, I personally think they would fail miserably in that effort unless they could show real in-state activity on behalf of any out-of-state seller they decided to pursue in that way. Um, The notion that merely having an Internet link by itself would be sufficient, um, I think, is a reach. And it would, of course, depend on how the state went about enforcing it. Um, Company by company, um, you'd have individual challenges if there were some sort of rulemaking or de facto rulemaking, uh, you might find uh, that there would be an opportunity to challenge uh, the department's authority to take that position. The, um, just so for, for those listening, in case you're in those states, uh, I believe the BNA states were Washington, Nevada, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, Florida, Tennessee, Missouri, Iowa, North and South Dakota, Pennsylvania, Maryland um, and Connecticut, so um, kind of a broad swath of the country. (laughs) And uh, I actually dealt with North Carolina. You know, North Carolina was the the third state to adopt the Amazon tax, and they actually did a a twofer in that they (laughs) they decided that um, one, this was a a major tax law change, but two, uh, it wasn't. And so they were going to apply it retroactively. 
and um, and arguing with them, they, they took the position that it wasn't a tax law, major tax law change, even though it was included in the release of the Department of Revenue has of major tax law changes for um, 2009. And, you know, um, internal consistency, I guess, isn't necessarily a, a prioritized in Raleigh. So um, have you come across that at all with them? The North Carolina Department, um, from time to time, uh, obviously we've, we um, paid close attention to, to their interlude there with uh, Amazon, where on a kind of administrative basis, um, as we talked about last week, they tried to compel Amazon to report customer purchase information in a way not not too dissimilar from what Colorado tried to do. Uh, but the department was in North Carolina, in that case, was doing it company-specific uh, with regard to Amazon using a, sort of a subpoena power approach. Right. Um, and as we talked about, Amazon was successful in uh, obtaining uh, a ruling from the Washington federal court, Washington state. Uh, right. And court. I was surprised. North Carolina, actually, they, apparently there's a state of West Carolina because North Carolina has um, auditors in the state of California and other parts of the West. Um, who will call you and say, hey, we're ready to come by your office. Just let us know when. And, um, and so they were that eager. They were definitely pushing hard on the issue. And um, so it's uh, – I was kind of disappointed. I mean, I'm, I was disappointed that Amazon was decided on the grounds that it was decided on. You know, I, would, I would love to have seen the court address the retroactive issue. But yeah. – um, well, that was the first. That was, of course, was the First Amendment case. Interesting. Many states do have auditors. Folks on the who, who are in the field and are curious about many states do have auditors spread around the country. They'll have uh, field offices with auditors who. Um, you, so you may get a call from uh, somebody in your neck of the woods on behalf of a state that uh, is nowhere near uh, where you're located. Um, your comment that then at the beginning of the show you got a notice from California was interesting to me. I don't know whether that would be part of a sort of random mailing to. And you were just one of the lucky few, or uh, if you have any sense of so to how speak. you got chosen. <laughs> well, I think it probably has something to do with the fact that I haven't paid taxes in 14 years. <laughs> but, uh, just kidding, just kidding. Um, no, I, I honestly don't know. It's the first time I've seen it, and I, I, you know, I have heard that um, – the only time I've heard this coming up really was in the case of, of audits. And um, well, the but, reason it has an intersection with Colorado, and I'll tell you what, one of the things that the, the state has as a burden now in this case and um, that makes it a real uphill battle for them, laws that are discriminatory against interstate commerce are virtually per se invalid under the United States Constitution. This is the, the Commerce Clause is one of the, was one of the reasons why the framers got together and had the Constitutional Convention and, and wrote our Constitution. So this is... This is one of the sort of bedrock principles of, of uh, the U.S. Constitution. And so states uh, that enact laws that are discriminatory either in purpose or in effect um, have a burden of proving that that law could not be – that the objective of the law could not be obtained by any non-discriminatory alternatives, um, any reasonable non-discriminatory alternatives. And one of the things we suggested to the court was that uh, they could – what they want in Colorado is greater reporting by their own citizens. They could, in fact, uh, contact their own citizens regarding their use tax liability. Put in the one we, uh, you know, one the court mentioned in its opinion was um, Colorado could put a line on their income tax return, like another 23 states in the United States have, to allow right. their consumers to report use tax there. Um, so it's interesting to me that to hear that uh, California, in fact, is engaged. It, it, turns, it turns out it, it, 
it's not entirely random, it's semi-random. And um, it's kind of like the publisher's clearinghouse. You have one. It says, this letter is to notify you that based upon 2008 income tax records, which, you know, I usually only filed during odd years, but um, <laughs> just kidding. Um, you have been identified as a qualified purchaser and must now register with the BOE for a use tax account. Wow, lucky me. It's like you'd be pre-approved for a credit card. Um, any event, um, so have you, you haven't come across that to date, then I take it. Uh, it makes me wonder, uh, I mean, we could talk about it offline, it makes me wonder on what basis they identified you as a qualified purchaser. I mean, it obviously, they, they must have some info from another side, you know, it seems like, uh, that would say, ha, we know you bought something. So well, I, I, my, my understanding that everyone associated with webmasterradio.fm has received one. No, just kidding. Um, but, Matt, it, it's been a pleasure having you. Thank you again for being on the show um, two weeks in a row, hopefully um, the, the charm will work again um, in whatever case you have pending. Um, I'll look forward to hearing that you've had a major victory today. <laughs> but if not, I, I hope you consider joining us again nonetheless. Um, so but thanks again, Matt. It's been a pleasure. And I look forward to seeing you at the conference in the future. And um, enjoy the snow while you have it. Thanks very much, Matt. It's been my pleasure. All right. We'll be back um, after these messages. And um, back to you, Brasco. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Two, one, boost to ignition. Ascend into new heights of ranking and revenue with a search engine-friendly online shopping cart that's ready for liftoff. Introducing Ascender Cart. Ascender Cart optimizes your shopping cart with easy-to-use SEO tools that will help build keywords, titles, and tags for top search engine rankings. Get all of the advantages of having a shopping cart on your site and monitor your progress with regular reports in just a click. Prepare to launch your shopping cart to the top of the search engines with Ascender Cart. Learn more about what Ascender Cart can do for you at AscenderCart.com. A-S-C-E-N-D-E-R-C-A-R-T dot com. Our clients have earned over $1 billion. Now it's your turn. With over 20,000 products to promote across a huge variety of niches, ClickBank provides countless ways for any affiliate to make money. You can promote any product immediately. No contracts required. Looking for recurring commissions? Upsell products? ClickBank's got them. And best of all, you can make up to 75% commissions. Ready to become the next ClickBank success story? Sign up now for free at ClickBank.com. Hi, I'm Ross Dunn. And I'm John Carcass. We're the hosts of SEO 101 on webmasterradio.fm. Your introductory course on search engine optimization. Tune in and get some free advice and network. So, turn on your computers, open your minds, grab your mouse, and we'll be taking your questions. Get ready to get back to the basics. SEO 101. Catch us Mondays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the search engine optimization channel only on webmasterradio.fm. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back. This is Bennett Kelly, and with our last half hour of the show, 
And um, as we mentioned, Matt Schaefer had joined us and he was on the show last week talking about his pending motion in the Colorado case and the ruling came down that day. So any of you high-powered lawyers across the country who have uh, very important motions um, and would like to appear on the show, um, please send your information on the back of a $100 bill to um, Webmaster Radio and we'll be happy to consider having you on the show. But um, kidding aside, um, we um, have to start third show. Our first show we had um, Chris Olson from, he's the Deputy Director of Privacy for the FTC. And we also had um, Michael Roberts talk about online reputation management. And last week was a special show devoted entirely to the Amazon tax. And we never really got to talk about what this show was going to be about. So I thought I'd talk about some of the things that we're going to be covering over the next few weeks. And um, just to spark your interest and see if you have any questions while you're on the chat room. Um, but we're going to have a – next week, we're going to be dealing with something very topical. Um, you might want to call – instead of fearing loathing in Las Vegas, um, we'll be covering um, fear and twittering in the Middle East. Um, we'll have some cyber democracy experts um, with experience in Egypt and Tunisia on from the Berkman Center. And then we'll also – have, um, as in light of the State of the Union address, we'll be having um, several um, guests talk about the state of the internet. And one of them will be Akamai Technologies, um, who've just released their um, Q3 2010 State of the Internet. And we'll have a representative from them next week to talk about the report and the findings, um, both in, which covers a, a broad swath of um, where we are today in the internet in terms of broadband speed, um, broadband deployment, connectivity, as well as threats to the internet and where they're coming from. So um, it's a pretty um, it's a useful report. They could have come out quarterly, and if you haven't looked at it in the past, I, I de definitely recommend checking them out, um, but they'll be on next week. Um, some of the topics we will be covering, um, in addition to the Amazon tax, which we'll be covering regularly as it develops, um, we will be covering cyber democracy, um, particularly as it develops in China, um, the, you know, the issue of Google and other ISPs you know, doing business in China and to what extent they participate in the censorship regime there is an issue. But also this online censorship, not just in China. Um, Australia has come under scrutiny for their online censorship issues. And so we'll be, we'll be monitoring them as they develop. In addition, um, we'll continue to monitor the ongoing privacy developments. Um, including um, those not just on Capitol Hill, but in the private sector, as we're starting to see uh, competition among various browsers um, from Microsoft's Internet Explorer 9, which is um, in development, to Google and um, Mozilla, um, in terms of the ability to block tracking technologies or even possibly block websites altogether, which some to some raises concern that we may privatize censorship in the United States on the web and, and create um, a choking point um, both in terms of content and also um, maybe do some damage to um, internet advertising um, on, on the web. Now with other topics um, we're going to be covering is we're going to try to stay on top of the latest trends on, on the internet um, in, in both in terms of emerging technologies, emerging business models, but also just social developments. And um, we'll be having um, later next month, this month, we will have author William Powers, who has a book out called 
Hamlet's Blackberry, which is actually a reference to a certain um, technological device um, dating back to the time of Hamlet. But it's really about he actually he's a, a Washington-based reporter and columnist uh, who lives in Cape Cod, and he and his family observe a cyber Sabbath. So from sundown Friday to uh, Monday morning, they are not online at all. Uh, doesn't mean they're not technology. They don't use technology. I and mean, he's a writer, so he's on his computer. But they don't plug into the net, and um, they've they found that it's had been valuable to them and, and their family um, in many respects, and that people have adapted to them, and so it kind of enabled them to to get off. To unplug has its value, and um, Bill will be talking about that on the show later this month. Um, other things we're going to be covering. Um, in addition to um, those, um, are some where we're still in the process of lining up guests. Um, I find the issue of cyber warfare to, and cybersecurity to become increasingly important. Um, the Pentagon just added a, um, I'm not sure if it's a fourth or a fifth command, um, to, its, um, to the Pentagon for cyber, cyber warfare. And uh, you may recall that when Russia invaded Georgia, uh, the very first part of that war was um, a cyber war where they basically shut down um, Georgia's defenses um, on a cyber level. And then last spring, um, there was reports that China did some massive attacks in which they would test their ability to penetrate um, various high levels of government, Fortune 500 companies, and as well as our electricity grid. So um, there's some serious concerns about our readiness on the cyber warfare front. And so it's definitely something that merits monitoring because it's not just a, a, a political issue. It also could be very damaging to businesses because I think what I'm hearing is that you know, the, the cyber penetration isn't just for military purposes, but it's also um, economic espionage, you know, getting information on you know products and technology um, in order to deploy them and gain competitive advantage. Um, one topic we will be coming to is Canada has adopted a, a spam law, which goes into effect later this year. It was just adopted in December, and it's very similar to can spam, but like most things, Canadian similar but different in its own way. And so we'll be talking about those differences and what that means for U.S. marketers and as well as for Canadian marketers. Um, another topic we'll be coming back to time and again is the ongoing um, litigation with the um, copyright troll Right Haven. For those who are unfamiliar, Right Haven is, a, is an entity created by um, the, the owners of the Las Vegas Review and Journal to prosecute copyright claims um, against bloggers who were um, quoting very small passages from the Las Vegas Review Journal, and um, and what was unusual about litigation was that they were bringing claims without making any prior demands, and it seemed that the purpose of the litigation wasn't so much um, to recover money, but actually just to um, send a chill throughout the blogosphere. And um, to date, there have been 230 lawsuits filed against various blogs, um, both right and left, um, including the, um, Sharon Engel, the, the Senate candidate who lost to Harry Reid in Nevada. Um, she was sued by them. 
or at least received a, a demand from them. And so uh, they filed 230 suits to date. They've recovered about 318000 um, and they're averaging about $3,500 in settlements per case. So it doesn't seem to be an economic uh, model for them, but I don't, I don't think that's necessarily their objective. And um, another thing we'll be recovering back to is the FTC's red flag rule and the whole issue of data security and identity theft. Um, and then finally, we'll be covering um, the latest in enforcement trends, both at the federal level with the FTC and as well as the various state attorney generals. Um, there are a number of very active attorney generals in this area. And um, as we saw in New York, um, being an active attorney general is a good way to become governor, as both Elliot Spitzer and now Governor Cuomo can attest to. So those are some of the areas we're going to be coming back to over the next couple of months. And um, if you have any interest in those areas or would like to recommend someone that we talk to, we're happy to have them. Um, if you have any ideas that you'd like to hear addressed, please let us know um, at Webmaster Radio. We're, we obviously want you to be listening, so um, please let us know. And um, Bennett, if I can yeah. interject for just a moment. Um, yes. Yeah. Your request for interaction, we love that going on as the show goes on, but we do have some current interaction going on today, which I'd like to direct you over to the chat room. There is a question. Right, from, I was just, I'm just fine, trying to find my browser. Oh, well, I, you know what? I'm following along, so as your producer, I'm happy to go ahead and just – I'll read it off to you. There's a, there's a question sure. from Anna Doyle in our chat room. She asks, I wonder if someone in California makes a purchase from Canada, doesn't pay tax on the item, has to include this item in the reporting to the to the tax board. Um, yes, they they would. Um, basically, if you if you purchase in in California, um, the, the tax is the obligation to pay the tax exists regardless of whether or not it is co it is collected by the retailer. And, and I think that's what the the argument being made by um, you know the the pro Amazon tax people, so to speak. Is just just that that you know everyone at the retail level um, and the brick and mortar has to collect the tax, um, and that you know the obligation to pay the tax doesn't go away. It's just that the obligation to collect the tax is different online, and so um, the only one benefiting really, although the consumer does benefit, but it's, they would argue it's a false benefit because the duty to pay the tax is still there. So the only one benefiting, they would argue, is the, the online retailer who then does not have to collect or remit the tax and in doing so has a, a percentage advantage over their offline brethren. A couple other comments that were made after the fact. Um, Doug Scott in our chat room is, all, is from Canada. He's listening in today mentioning he has to pay GST tax once a package hits the border, plus different provincial taxes. And then Anna asks, does anyone know what fines are in place for failure to report? Um, actually, Matt could probably speak to that. I mean, basically, in failing to report, um, it, it comes up mainly during an audit of some form. And, um, and they, my understanding is, and I'm, I'm not a tax lawyer, and I'm not even trying to play one on radio, is that um, if they really want to be sticklers, they can use it against you. Um, but generally, it doesn't come up. You, know, you may be asked to pay it, but I don't know if there's any fine, if, how often people are fined for failing to do so. All right. 
Anna had one other question moving on before we run out of time. Uh, she asks if you have any information about the new online imposter law. Um, yes, it just went into effect. It was sponsored by Senator Samithian. And um, basically, if someone impersonates someone online for the benefit the purpose of harming that person, um, you know, it, they can be prosecuted both criminally and as well as um, uh, the victim may seek um, civil redress against that person. You know, say, for example, if someone's um, impersonating someone on Facebook or elsewhere, um, you know, there's actually a remedy for that. And, uh, you know, I, I jokingly, I was talking to someone about this last night, and I jokingly referred to this as the um, Facebook um, General, Facebook Legal Department Full Employment Act, because, you know, they're really going to be busy um, over the, because of this law. And it's a, it's a state law sponsored by Senator Simitian of California. And um, I imagine other states will probably follow this model or it wouldn't be surprised if it gets incorporated into any um, federal legislation that may come up, come out of any um, the any other tech committees later this year. And the, uh, it, it's, uh, it's a misdemeanor. You can be um, fined up to $1,000 or um, jailed up to a year. And then the, the civil penalties are, I forget what they are, but they also include recovery of attorney's fees and costs. So you know, there, is, there is a remedy for it. I, I've already started receiving phone calls from people about it. Um, so in, in, coincidentally enough, they even, even without being aware of the law, um, you know, those calls are just coming in because this is a problem. You know, there are people who troll the Internet um, and who just think it's funny or somehow in their, in their own twisted, sick little way get pleasure out of um, – you know, trying to mimic or mock other people, and um, you know, have no respect for their rights, and and so, you know, these people need to be protected, and so that's we'll see how this, this law comes about. Now, interestingly enough, California is very much at the foreground of um, the, this type of legislation, but they they haven't been at the foreground of funding. Um, at the attorney general's office, but this also can be done to the district attorney's office. But the one thing that would be interesting is, in, for example, the state of Washington, they actually funded an, um, a special technology unit of the attorney general's office. And that, that actually proved to be a very good investment because that office regularly re re um, has brought back um, both fines for the office, but also uh, refunds for Washington consumers who've been ripped off by um, various schemes online, particularly in the area of um, faux spyware. Um, you know, a lot of those, you may recall, there's a lot of providers who, and you, I think they're still out there, and you know, all of a sudden you, you, you get on the wrong website and it says your computer's infected, that you have everything from scurvy to <laughs> you name it, and, uh, and once you know it, um, you know, we, we can solve it. And in reality, they're often not even infected. And so it's an issue too, uh, that they've been very aggressive about. And um, they put together a very good team. I've actually had the chance to work with them sometimes. And um, there's a very impressive team. And so, frankly, it would be nice to see more states do the same. There are a couple. Texas is very aggressive. Florida's been very aggressive. And then, of course, in New York, under you know, Spitzer and Cuomo, were very aggressive as well. And then actually, um, a shout out to a former colleague of mine, um, Doug Gansler, um, in Maryland. He's been, been a very aggressive attorney general as well. And 
um, and like Spitzer and um, Cuomo, seeing that he got 98% in his re-election, I wouldn't be surprised if he's another attorney general who ascends to governor or some other position down the road. So, Bennett, one other, other story. Uh, there was one other story. I just saw this come across the wire browsing through. Um, this just came up on ZDNet just within the hour now. There's a lawsuit now in a California federal court that got filed where AT&T is being charged that they are systematically overcharging iPhone and iPad owners by inflating data downloads and adding phantom traffic to bills. Wow. Um, that's very serious. And someone is trying to create a class action status in the lawsuit um, and is asking for restitution and class damages. Um, yeah, that's yeah, that, that's got to be very damaging, and uh, you know that could also to be criminal too. Yeah, um, I, I think it's you know just a, a quick um, you know kick them while they're um, very much alive and um, yeah. not down. But um, I, I I do recall on Facebook seeing a, a, an interesting post that someone was at the World Series um, at AT and T Park. And was unable to get coverage on their what? iPhone, you know, through AT and T. And I know a lot of people are very eager for the uh, AT and T's exclusivity to end. But um, so, I mean, granted that that's an, it's a lawsuit. You know, it has you all see lawsuits in, in the newspapers, and you can just bear in mind those are allegations, and allegations have to be proven. Um, but you know, if, if it is true, it's a very serious thing, and um, and, and you know. People should have to pay for that. Uh, one quick thing: um, we were talking um, about next week's show, where we're going to talk about fear and twittering in the Middle East. And um, there's a piece in today's newspaper, apparently, that um, um, the um, the head of marketing for Google in the Middle East and North Africa, um, who was actually in Cairo for a conference, has been missing since Friday. Um, and actually, um, he, last he was heard from was a Twitter that said, pray for Egypt, very worried as it seems the government is planning a war crime tomorrow against people. We are all ready to die. And um, well, as for all the Egyptian people, we hope they're emerged safely from this crisis. And we also hope that this person gets home safe as well. Um, so, Brasco, are you going to sing Sunny and Cheer for me? or? Oh, how's that start off? Uh... Hold on, now I gotta go pull it up. I I, I wrote down the lyrics just because I went on my Facebook page today, given this Groundhog Day, and I made the mention of a uh, Bill Murray. When you go into that movie and you watch it, you know there's Sunny uh, from Sunny and Cher doing "I Got You, Babe," and in the middle of the song <coughs> that pops up every time on the alarm clock in every scene in that movie, it's "Then put your little hand in mine. There ain't no Click. hill on a mountain we can't snooze." <laughs> I bet you sure wish she had that ability during the, the years of marriage as well. But <laughs> unfortunately, a tree got to do that. I'm sorry. He did, and I actually, I've been on those slopes. Um, but oh. um, yes, it is unfortunate. Yeah. He uh, he was well liked in Palm Springs, but um, and he definitely was a talented man. He damn, yeah. He was um, he was he was a unique individual, that's for sure. But um. But yeah, you know, Groundhog Day, we celebrate it. Pakistani Phil, uh, we send, give you a, a cyber um, send off. Um, thank you for your service today, which I think he said there's going to be spring is coming sooner, correct? Is that what he said? Uh, yeah, better, so, you know, the way the, uh, he, the Northeast and the Midwest are feeling, they are hoping it is. He, he tweeted it later to confirm. 
And uh, <laughs> but um, and interestingly enough, there was I was um, there's an Irish version of um, Groundhog Day. It's called um, Saint Bridget Day, which was yesterday. And um, and the they do it because um, they choose yesterday because it's the halfway point between the start of winter and the start of spring. So for all you being um, battered mercilessly. Um, by snow and cold in the northeast, um, you're, you know the end is in sight, um, and um, so let's hope this means a a very plush spring and summer for you guys. And um, you can always come visit us in California and share our sun, where it's very beautiful and warm today, by the way. And um, but it is here. Stay, stay warm where you are. And um, Brasco, it's been a pleasure. And join us next week on Cyber Report. We will have um, a guest from the Berkman Center to talk about the um, the role of the internet in the, the current crises in the Middle East. And we'll also have a re- we'll go over the the coming technologies uh, report on the state of the internet. So um, for us, it's been a pleasure. And uh, this is Bennett Kelly with the Internet Law Center. Um, look forward to talking to you next week. And if you have any questions in the interim, you. Know, I can be reached at bkelly at internetlawcenter.net. Send your questions or suggestions, and um, look forward to talking to you next week. Rasco, back to you. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.